You are listening to the Progress Your Health Podcast, episode 59. Welcome to the Progress Your Health Podcast with your hosts, Dr. Robert Mackey and Dr. Valerie Davidson, a husband and wife team who specialize in bioidentical hormone replacement therapy and functional medicine. They're here to help you lose weight, balance hormones, and age gracefully. It's their mission to motivate, educate, and empower you to take your health to the next level. And now your hosts, hormone experts, Dr. Mackey and Dr. Davidson. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Progress Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Mackey. And I'm Dr. Davidson. Uh, so on this episode today, we're going to talk about weight gain, um, you know, weight loss, um, but specifically in women that are in perimenopause. So perimenopause, of course, as it sounds, is right before menopause, but it's actually um, a really underserved, I guess, age demographic because because uh, perimenopause can be anywhere from your late 30s to your late 40s because typically menopause is supposed to be in a perfect world at 51 and a half. So a lot of women can deal with these um, perimenopausal symptoms, one of them being in particular, which is probably the number one complaint in perimenopause, is the weight gain. Women say they feel like they gained 10 to 15 pounds almost like overnight. Yeah, right. They're just, uh, you know, life is the same. They're still just kind of doing their thing. And before they know it, they get this weight, particularly around the midsection, right? Women don't typically, you know, develop a spare tire necessarily. And all of a sudden they have this weight that they can't get rid of. And regardless of what they do to try to lose the weight, the weight just keeps, you know, either doesn't budge, doesn't go down, uh, or the weight just keeps going up over time. And of course, you know, people try to chalk it up to say, hey, you're getting older. This is supposed to happen. Well, no, it's not supposed to happen. And why did it all of a sudden happen? Because I'll have women, and this is so true, will say they have never had a belly. Even when they were pregnant afterwards, they have never had a belly. And now they literally have this belly fat that they don't know where it came from because the diet hasn't changed. The exercise regime hasn't changed. If anything, I have women in perimenopause that that try to go the opposite way, which we'll get into and be very strict with dietary and exercise. And if anything, it doesn't go away or they gain even more. Yeah. Now the reason why we're going to talk about this is because this is a, of course, a, a very common issue that women are having. Um, but a lot of times the strategy that, uh, people are employing to lose the weight actually ends up making the situation worse. Okay. And this is something that we see all the time. So we felt like it was a good idea to, Um, be a little bit contrary and from our observation of what we see people are doing to try to lose that weight, uh, in some ways they are doubling down, but they're doubling down in in the way that actually makes them end up gaining more weight in the long run. Exactly. And, And we get it, you know, putting on weight when you didn't even earn it is not fun. And a lot of women, these perimenopausal women are super healthy. It's not like the weight is causing them ill health, but they might go to their doctor, they go to their GP, gynecologist, they don't have any answers for them. They'll say, oh, you're just getting older. Your blood work looks great, but it's not fun to feel like you're gaining five pounds every few months. Then all of a sudden, you know, who knows when's that, when is that going to stop? You know, it's kind of terrifying sometimes when you feel like you have nothing to stop it. So of course, when you think about gaining weight, what did we all learn since we were kids was just stop eating. Yeah, right. The proverbial eat less and exercise more. Just uh, terrible advice. <laughs> which is, which really, you know, the take home message for the, for today is that eat less, exercise more idea really does not work. Okay. Because that is the approach that almost all of our patients come to us 
utilizing that strategy, trying to lose weight. It worked when you were 25, right? It certainly did. You could just eat a little bit less, exercise a little bit more, and your body would respond appropriately. But once you get to quote unquote, literally perimenopause, there are some physiologic changes that's happening, inevitable physiologic changes. Your body is producing less of very particular hormones that buffer the stress um, that we, we all would agree more than likely that we have more stress in our mid 40s than we did when we were 25 but we don't have the hormones to buffer that stress. Uh, so now that, you know, the things that we are doing, as we talked about in the last episode, the things that make us not sleep very well, kind of get magnified a little bit. And now our bodies just don't really, are not as resilient as they used to be. Exactly. And it really is about those stress hormones having an impact because you don't have some of the reproductive hormones the way you did when you were in your 20s. And granted, sure, there's a lot of different kinds of stressors when you're in your 40s than you did when you were in your 20s. But you know, a lot, I have a lot of women in their, you know, mid to late forties and they'll say, I don't know what's wrong with me because my life is actually better now than it was 15 years ago when the kids were young and I had to work full time and I was getting a divorce. My life is so much better now, but I feel so much worse. Yeah, right. Yeah. Some of that may be a little bit, as we're talking about, a little self-induced. Uh, not that they create their own stress, but their ability to handle the stress is so much less. Um, so they feel more stressed or more overwhelmed. And that's because of the inevitable hormonal decline, particularly in, in the beginning of this process. Like, as you said, late 30s to early 40s is when you start losing some progesterone. Yeah. So really, so not to get into too much physiology here, so you don't get super bored, is when, you know, we make estrogen progesterone. Duh, we're females. We make estrogen and progesterone. Men do too, but we make a lot of it, but we cycle it, which is why you get a period every, you know, ideally 28 days or whatnot. But the progesterone is what drops first when you hit perimenopause. So everybody knows about menopause. Menopause, the ovaries have decided to retire. They're t they've justly deserved have get to retire. They're not making any more estrogen and progesterone. But in perimenopause, it's a little bit different because you're still cycling. If you have a uterus, you're still having a period, but you're just not making as much progesterone. If anything, a lot of times, as you know, the progesterone is almost non-existent in perimenopause. So as Dr. Mackey said, having changes in those hormones doesn't allow you to buffer some of those stress hormones. So things seem like they're way more ca you know, chaotic than they might be. Because I have a lot of women that say, you know, I don't know why I don't feel well, given the circumstances really aren't that big a deal. Yeah, right. Now we're not, we're not blowing people off. Like a lot of times when women go to their gynecologist or their primary care or whatever, they get blown off a lot, right? Because those doctors, unfortunately, just don't have the tools to be able to help them effectively. So in some ways, and we've heard this from a lot of patients, they kind of blame it on the patient, like it's the patient's fault, right? Or there's, you know, on paper on a lab test, because that doctor doesn't know how to interpret the lab test, then there's nothing wrong with them because they don't class of perimenopause, unfortunately, is not a disease, right? It's this limbo land, as you always call it, the limbo land of hormones, where women, you know, there's, a, there's millions of women across the country that are in this demographic, but really, there's very few uh, practitioners that know how to effectively help them. Exactly. And especially with the weight gain, when you look at people, I mean, there's a there's some not so great, you know, weight loss medications out there that you wouldn't want to take. But who are the women that are taking them? The women in perimenopause, because that's when they feel like they don't have any control over their metabolism and how to stop this weight gain. So like we had, we had alluded on, we said, you know, the, the worst advice in the world is what we learned when we were kids, which was, you know, you can't undereat and you can't overexercise because that's just going to exacerbate that whole hormonal cascade uh, particularly what, you know, one hormone in particular is that cortisol, or as we always call it, kind of the cortisol insulin interaction. 
Yeah, right. You know, cortisol is where that that uh, midsection, you know, the muffin top, the spare tire, the belly fat that nobody that no woman wants to develop, it's happening because of cortisol. Your body literally is redistributing, you know, fat and it's all happening because of this stress response. Now, if you take that eat less, exercise more approach, we talk to women all the time, they're 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 trying to exercise 3 to 6 times a week but yet their bodies are not changing at all. If some cases, and this is a, a you know, this is a, an observation or a reflection for a lot of you listening. If you're exercising multiple times a week and your weight has not changed in the last 90 days, then you need to reevaluate your exercise strategy, right? If your weight is not budging based on your dietary and your exercise, uh, you know, regimen, uh, if it has not changed at all, then you need to reevaluate because, or it, during that same time frame, if your weight has gone up during that same time frame, so you're technically eating at a deficit and expending a bunch of energy on a weekly basis, your energy balance is completely off. You now you're just exacerbating this uh, this cortisol response, and you're really, you're in a sense, you're making the problem worse. Exactly. Now there's lots of hormones and you probably all have Googled them and read them and heard about them with leptin and relin and as we're talking about insulin and cortisol. So not to, you know, you know, bore you with the physiology, but we really feel like when you're doing that that intense cardiovascular exercise so frequently is that will raise up your cortisol. And of course, what does cortisol do? Uh, cortisol, well, by by category, cortisol is uh, is classified as what they call a glucocorticoid. Gluco meaning glucose or blood sugar. Corticoid meaning cortical steroid because it's made from cholesterol. All uh, hormones that are made from cholesterol, which is cortisol and all the sex hormones are made from cholesterol. That's what makes it a cortical steroid. Um, its job in the body literally is to raise blood sugar. Okay, So as we've talked about on other episodes, you go to exercise trying to lose body fat, right? You know, and you go to exercise, your cortisol goes up because your brain thinks that you're starving to death and running from a tiger. And now as a result of your cortisol going up, it tells your liver, as you mentioned a minute ago, gluconeogenesis. Uh, you know, I think that was maybe you mentioned gluconeogenesis in the last episode. Uh, gluconeogenesis is where your liver makes blood sugar, okay? And then as a response to the rise in blood sugar, now your pancreas has to release some insulin. Uh, but now you're in a situation where you don't really need any of that extra energy. So now your body has to do something with it. And now it redistributes, re redistributes that, uh, that blood sugar and stores it as fat around the midsection. And the same thing happens with stress. So one thing with the estrogen and the progesterone, when the progesterone drops in perimenopause, the estrogen really doesn't drop a lot, but it can drop a little bit. You'll actually, you'll see in a lot of women's one month it drops, the other month it goes through the roof. It can, estrogen all is the best hormone in the entire world, but she can be like a runaway train. So when you don't have the progesterone to rein in that negative effect of estrogen, that can actually exacerbate, um, feeling moody. So you feel irritable, you feel moody, and then you get stressed out really easy, which again, when you get stressed out, what does that do? It raises up your cortisol. Yeah. Now, and that, and that whole, and if you think about it, when we're in our, you know, uh, late, uh, late thirties to early fifties, right? That's when, that's when we have real responsibility. We have jobs, we have families, we have mortgages, we have taxes, we have all the things that make us stressed in America. 
when we're 25, we have all the hormonal capacity to handle lots of stress. We don't really have stress. Uh, you know, I mean, we do, but not nearly compared to what it is to, you know, have the adult responsibilities. Uh, and then we, you know, in order to try to lose weight, we stress ourselves out even more. And then as we've been talking about in perimenopause, sleep quality becomes, you know, um, affected as well. That's why we said in the last episode, and we reiterated here that your number one thing to try to lose weight is improving your sleep quality. Whenever we work with a new patient, our first month is devoted to really is to get them sleeping better because if you're not sleeping well at night, losing weight is going to be next to impossible. Which is a huge issue in perimenopause is having trouble staying asleep. Either you're waking up multiple times in the night or you're waking up for a good, you know, solid hour to two hours in the middle of the night. And by the time you can fall back asleep, it's time to actually get up for the day. So that is probably number one. And that again is about that cortisol because the cortisol is coming up in the evening and then it's staying down too low during the day, which is why you're, you know, trouble staying asleep at night, but then also feeling tired the next day. Yeah, right. So, you know, that kind of a that kind of cycle just really starts to ingrain itself and it be, and the body gets really good at what it's forced to do all the time. Um, so, when you're always trying to push and push and push and push and keep going and keep going and keep going all the time, the brain just gets used to that, right? So, it, these patterns kind of get stuck. Uh, like a, you know, I know you wrote an article, you know, before about adrenal issues and you you talk about the vampire, right? The the proverbial night owl, the one that stays up too late and can't get up in the morning. That's a very classic example of this flipped uh, cortisol curve. Um, we're not born that way, right? These things just kind of develop. Now, we might all have as humans, we might all have tendencies. Some people are morning people, some people are night people. But because of society and because of what we talked about last time about electric devices and lights and computers and TVs, these things become, you know, they just become our own patterns and we develop into them. That doesn't mean that they're normal. They're not necessarily normal. We're supposed to follow a very classic circadian rhythm, rise with the sun and go to sleep when the sun goes down. Um, but we, you know, we see these circadian rhythm problems, you know, all over the place. Everybody has them to some degree or another. So in perimenopause, not having those, especially the progesterone, to be able to buffer that extra cortisol, that's where that weight comes on. And it's not a lot. It's usually about 10 to 20 pounds. Usually, you know, the average is around 12 to 15, depending on the, you know, the stature of the female. But it, but in, and it's not unhealthy. It really is vanity pounds. Your health is good. Blood sugar is good. Liver function, electrolytes, you know, all that is good. So that's why your doctor will say, you're super healthy. It's just age, but it's not age. It's really your hormones. So that... So for example, with the, with the cortisol, another thing we talk about is stress will make you fat. That's why, that's why when you're young, you have those female hormones to buffer it. But when you're in your mid forties, you don't. So you get a, a stressful email, a yucky phone call from somebody you don't like, or something, you know, some kind of stressful event happens, but it's not necessarily a tiger chasing you down, wanting to eat you. You just get some bad news, but that automatically raises up your cortisol and your catecholamines, which then what does that do? Your body thinks you need to run away from whatever predator has assault, you know, trying to assault you. So in that moment, that cortisol raises up, you make some glucose, the pancreas secretes some insulin, and then it takes that glucose and shuttles it into a fat cell because you didn't run like the wind. You sat in front of your computer or chatted on the phone with that stressor. Yeah, right. So it's in some ways your body is trying to save you by giving you a whole bunch of uh, immediate energy but there's no energy expenditure. So now your body just has to deal with that somehow. And then that whole cycle continues. So um, not sleeping and a lot of stress, that is a, you know, I mean, that's 
kind of a mute point, like we all know stress, you know, causes some weight gain. Um, but the way that people try to remedy that their first inclination is to go exercise all the time. Yeah, I don't know how many times I've encouraged women as they are trying to lose weight in the process of it or have failed at trying to lose weight. And they're just so frustrated. I tell them literally take a month off, no exercise for a month. They all get nervous. They all get a little bit panicked because they think they're going to gain even more weight. Uh, and I usually notice, or I usually, you know, um, what I've noticed is that they do actually um, gain a little bit of weight as a result of not exercising because they've also been under eating in that same process. That's the number one thing that I see is women are trying to exercise, you know, four to six times a week, literally, but they are under eating in some cases by over a thousand calories a day. So when you're, you know, when you have this opposite end, you're ex expending a bunch of energy, but you're not taking in enough, that alone will raise your cortisol. And that, again, this whole energy balance process is kind of uh, literally out of balance. Uh, and it just makes your, literally the, the fat loss process by under eating basically shuts itself off. Your body cannot burn any more fat. So this is the part that a lot of people have a hard time with it. You actually have to eat more food in order to keep the weight loss process moving in the right direction. And I know it sounds, and everybody gets a little wide-eyed when you say, oh, you need to stop exercising and eat more. And they're like, well, that's what got me here in the first place, isn't it? Like, no, 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 no. But at the same time, we don't, you know, you know, we like to exercise. I mean, exercise is good for the human body, but it's trying to back off on that intense cardiovascular exercise that raises up your cortisol. Yeah. Not only, no, granted, we're not, and you're right, we're not complaining about exercise in general. Exercise has a myriad of benefits. So don't take this the wrong way, um, you know, that all exercise is bad. Intense cardiovascular exercise actually also, you know, when that cortisol rises, it actually breaks down your muscle tissue. We want, to, we want activity that encourages the preservation of muscle tissue. The more muscle you have, it raises up your metabolic rate. The more your higher your metabolic rate is, the more you're going to burn fat at rest. Okay. And particularly, we end up burning a lot of fat while we're sleeping. If we're not sleeping, we're not burning any fat. And now the whole process continues in the wrong direction. Okay, That's why we always say that sleep is the number one point of that process. Because now that means your cortisol and insulin are going to be, which are the two major players in that process, your cortisol and insulin are going to be in the proper balance. And it's not going to be a runaway freight train. Um, partially, you have to be a little more. And honestly, this is, you know, this is probably good. Because women in America these days are you know, there's a lot of expectations for women these days, right? There's a lot on your plate, a lot of responsibility. Uh, you know, there's no glory in it necessarily. There's no recognition for it. Uh, you're just, you have a lot on your plate, you know, and we're trying to say, you know what, be a little gentler on yourself and don't try to physically and mentally push yourself so hard all the time because you'll get the wrong results in the long run. Exactly. And, and one, you know, like you were mentioning about the muscle mass is when we do hit our forties and later is it's harder to preserve the muscle mass. So doing exercise like resistance training or doing some more weights, maybe not doing the, the running instead doing some hiking, you know, something that's going to help you build muscle will act is actually better in perimenopause than, than I think any kind of exercise. Yeah, I, I would agree. Uh, so like I said, uh, if you're exercising a lot and you're not sleeping well, then cut back on the exercise. Maybe do more yoga or some more lower intensity, certainly weight training so you can preserve some muscle mass, maybe even gain some muscle. Like a lot of women that I, I, you know, I talk to, I want them to change their perspective instead of trying to actively lose weight. Uh, because if you're trying to uh, literally, you know, 
fix your problem areas by losing a little bit of a weight around the midsection or a little bit from your here or there or whatever, uh, and you're trying to lose, let's say, less than 20 pounds, right? That perimenopausal 20 pounds that you gained, uh, trying to eat less and exercise more to, to lose that 20 pounds is literally next to impossible. Okay, but if you just change your approach a little bit and focus more on trying to build muscle, uh, not in a bodybuilder sense where you're becoming big and bulky, um, but just about your approach. So you're not at too much of a deficit. You're doing more weight training, not as much cardio. You're focusing on strength versus how many calories you're burning. Uh, and I, I promise you in that process, you will become leaner and leaner and leaner as time goes on because now you're forcing the muscle to adapt. You're raising your metabolic rate. You're preserving your metabolic rate. Uh, now your body is in some ways kind of burning hotter all the time, you know, not figuratively like a hot flash, but, you know, facetiously. So that way your body can actually, you know, utilize the extra energy. And now you're going to become leaner and leaner as time goes on. So now that translates not the weight on the scale per se, um, but your body composition. So your percent body fat, uh, your, you know, your lean muscle mass, you know, all those things are your you know, literally weight might not change much, but your body composition could change quite a bit. Okay. That I think is a big deal. That's how our focus should be changing over time. And to build muscle, we need that energy. So instead of cutting back on calories, you actually want to increase up your calories. But this would be a good point to talk about where, because a lot of women ask me, well, what am I supposed to do? There's paleo, there's keto, there's, you know, vegan, there's, you know, carbs with no fat. I can't remember what the name of that one is. There's, you know, there's this diet, this diet, they don't know what to do, which I totally get it because there's so many different things out there. So this would be a good point to maybe, you know, finesse a little bit of that. Yeah, right. So we wrote a, a weight loss guide um, called the Keto Carb Cycling Program. You know, keto is very popular. Um, however, as we are talking about, one of the biggest mistakes that people make on keto is they undereat. Right, so they're eliminating a whole macronutrient, you know, carbohydrates. Uh, now, granted, we do like the idea of low carb and keto, uh, but again, keto is meant to be low carb. It is not meant to be low carb and low calorie. The low calorie part is what gets everybody in trouble because literally your calories are dropping anywhere from 500 to 1,000 calories a day, and the body is extremely sensitive to that drop in calories over time. Exactly, and. And another part is you don't want to be afraid of carbohydrates. People, you know, get scared. Oh, if I eat those carbs, I'm going to gain weight. It's not really about the carbohydrates. Of course, it's about the type of carbohydrates. You know, um, a complex carbohydrate is a whole lot different than a processed refined carbohydrate. But I don't think we necessarily have to be afraid of carbohydrates because if you cut your carbs down too low, that's actually terrible for our thyroid function. It's terrible for our female hormones and it's not conducive long-term. So doing some kind of refeed or, or as we said, what we did with our KCCP was doing a little bit of some carb cycling actually is beneficial. Yeah, right. And really the attempt of the KCCP when we wrote it was to, in some ways, protect women from themselves, right? Because that's our patient base. Uh, and we see this mistake. We've seen it for years. So the keto carb cycling is, you know, if you're going to do low carb or keto, do it for short little increments. But then, as you just said, make sure you're adding in those starchy carbohydrates back in the potatoes, the, you know, the, the, uh, the sweet potatoes, the yams, uh, maybe some rice, you know, you, you know, you're Japanese, we eat rice all the time. Time. you know, maybe some quinoa, maybe some legumes or some beans um, and all the other starchy vegetables. That's a big difference than eating processed refined carbohydrates. That's really what low carb is to you and I. 
is really just elim eliminating the processed refined carbohydrates. That's really what low carb is to us. So low carb is relatively, you know, literally it is a relative term. You know, uh, keto is usually when you drop your carbs on a daily basis less than 30 grams a day. Okay, that's what a ketogenic diet is. But low carb could be anything less than 125 grams of carbs a day. Okay, I think less, technically, I think less than 50 grams of carbs is considered to be a, a very low carbohydrate diet. The average American probably consumes two to 300 grams of carbohydrates a day. Now, granted, if that comes from whole food sources, that's great, right? That's really at the end of the day, whether you're doing paleo or low carb or vegetarian or vegan or whatever, whatever diet you want to choose, um, if you're focusing on whole foods, you know, that really, and then eating to your own level of appetite, because when everything is in sync and you're sleeping well, then your brain, your adipose tissue, your fat cells, and your liver should all be able to sing in harmony, so to, uh, so to speak, so that way your body regulates itself. If you're not sleeping, then something's off, and then now the other signals are gonna be distorted, and now that energy balance is gonna be wrong, and now your brain isn't gonna be able to quite regulate things well, and you're gonna keep gaining weight. So I know that's a, a lot to throw at you, but if you're interested in the Keto Carb Cycling Program, or as we abbreviate it, the KCCP, is we have an, I think we might have it on the website. I know we have it in our perimenopause masterclass as a PDF for, for women to follow, but um, is it on the website? or We had it up there on a like a, a content library, and then I had it set up kind of wrong, you know, whatever, <laughs> so people couldn't download it. And uh, I don't know, I kind of screwed it up. So um, if, you, if you go to... Mm -hmm. We'll make it available if you just go to progressionhealth.com backslash KCCP, uh, you'd be able to download it there, um, you know, because it is good. It's good. It's really good information. There is a section on there about calories and how to figure out where your calories are, um, because like I said, everyone that I talk to literally is under eating anywhere from 500 to 1,000 calories a day. The average for a woman is anywhere between, let's say, uh, maintenance calories is anywhere from let's say two depending on the size and the you know the age and all that stuff you know height and weight but on average a woman's maintenance level of calories should be anywhere from let's say 2,000 to about 2,500 calories. Isn't that wild? I know it I've, it's it works but I know for a lot of us women we get what you know wide-eyed and what 2,000 calories? Yeah, so let's say... You, you set, <laughs> but it does work. You've yeah. got to eat more. Yeah, right. So if you're, you know, and especially if you're exercising a lot, right? If you're going to the, you know, boot camp class or the spin class or this or that, and you're eating less than 1,500, you're creating too big of a deficit. Uh, and that, you know, that throws off your energy balance. And literally the fat loss process basically stops. Um, so you cannot lose any more weight. That's why when you're engaging in your process, whatever that is that you're doing, you lose weight for three months and it plateaus... The plateau is a sign that your body is starving to death and now it goes into compensation mode and it becomes very difficult for you from that point forward. That's where you should actually eat more food, which a lot of people do. They end up eating less food and exercising more to compensate. They're just magnifying the problem. Okay, now, uh, granted, this is, uh, you know, this is not an exact science. We, is weight loss or losing weight, is, a, is it a calorie issue or a hormone issue? Well, I think it's both, right? I don't think you can separate one from the other because they both come into play. But eating enough food, that's where it's the paradigm shift. We just think if we just eat less food, we'll be fine. But in reality, that you know that is, that is the wrong long-term strategy. So every program in the country is always focused on the short-term weight loss, losing weight in the first six months. But every one of them is an attempt at restricting your calories. 
Okay, so in the KCCP, that's why we encourage people to refeed on a regular basis. Every week, every other week, add in some of those uh, starchy carbohydrates because that's gonna raise up your calories and it's gonna tell your leptin levels, your thyroid and all those things to maintain that you're not starving to death and running from a tiger and now the fat loss process can continue. Um, you know, it's complicated. It's really, really complicated, but it is not impossible. No, no. And, and, and we do have in that write-up, you know, a little bit about all the different hormones that contribute to weight loss or weight gain with, like you mentioned, you know, the, the, the leptin, we have the diponectin in there, the relin, you know, the insulin, the cortisol and all that jazz and the hormones on there. So, so it, it'd be good. Cause I do feel like you know, people want to, they, they want to know what to do and have a little bit of structure, which I think we all need, but we also want to learn at the same time and figure out, well, why am I doing this? You know, like I mentioned, you know, doing hardcore keto for long periods of time will lower your, your thyroid function. In the KCCP, we go into a little bit with intermittent fasting because intermittent fasting is very hot right now. Is intermittent fasting good for you? Good for other people? It can be, it just depends. Yeah. A lot of people, you know, they interpret intermittent fasting, which really at the end of the day, boil, it's just a way to manipulate your calories. So you, even if you're doing intermittent fasting, you still, you can't just eat dinner every day and, and think you're doing intermittent fasting. You still have to refeed yourself. Otherwise you fall into the same trap of lowering your calories too much. And that's why you see plateaus in, you know, people's weight loss journeys or their body just goes the other direction. And now they just start overeating again because that's what the body's designed to do. That's why we're not, we, we're not, our rational brains are not smarter than what the body does. The body is way too smart for that and it's designed for that food scarcity environment. So it wants to protect it in every chance that it can. Now, one other thing before we run out of time, another thing I'd like to say is when you're using the scale at home to track your weight loss, that is literally, and all of us know that when you're looking at the scale, trying to see if we're progressing the right way or not, it is enough to drive you crazy. The scale goes up and down and up and down and up and down. If you looked at the scale every single day, some of you, you we know that you don't even step on the scale because it's too it's a, too much of an emotional trigger for you to be stepping on the scale. But if you did, let's say for 30 days or for six months, every day you stepped on the scale, it'd go up two pounds, down down one pound, up three pounds, down two pounds, uh, you know, down three pounds, up two pounds. It just fluctuates all the time. Uh, and we never get a good gauge of what we are doing actually is working or not. So I would encourage you in your town, uh, in your city, the bigger city you're in, the easier this will be to find, but find a walk-in imaging clinic that has a DEXA, DEXA scan machine. You know, that's normally for bone density, but almost all of the new uh, generation DEXA machines can do body composition testing where you get literally a very accurate percentage of what your current body fat percentage is. And if you're trying to lose, let's say even less 40 pounds or less, okay, now 40 pounds is a lot of weight, 180 to 140, that's a big deal, right? And I would say that's probably the majority of where our patients fall into. They're in that, you know, 20 to 50 pound range. Okay. Now, granted, is that obesity? Maybe some, you know, whatever, but it's not the super, you know, the super obese where they have a hundred pounds or more to lose. And if you're using the scale to track your progress, that scale is kind of leading you in the wrong direction. So if you go to the DEXA, uh, the DEXA scan place and you get a body fat percentage, check it every so often. And if your body fat percentage is going down, then you know that your strategy is actually working. Okay. Then you're able to push through those plateaus. You can make that consistent, you know, body fat percentage reduction, not weight necessarily, especially if you're exercising with weights uh, and doing what we're talking about. The weight might not change very much, but as long as the body fat's going down, now your body is, your body composition is changing drastically that the eat less, exercise more really cannot change body composition quite like that. 
so that is a different perspective. You're focusing on something else and you're seeing true progress as opposed to being lied to by whatever your scale says on a regular basis. Yes, the scale is evil. Take it in your backyard and bury it and put a nice little gravestone because you're never pulling it back out. It's very deceiving, especially for women, because we do. We fluctuate up four pounds, down three pounds. You know, it, it changes. You could also, you know, do measurements with a tape measure, you know, like the bust, the arms, the neck, the, the quads, the, the belly, the hips. That's another way to also track some progress. Um, and, you know, and I have some women that they will not, they get on the scale every single day, but most of, most of them, I tell them, don't get on the scale. And if you're going to maybe once a week or once every two weeks, if you're really going to, if you really want to see that number. But, um, but one, one thing before I forget is our, um, our Facebook page. So I'm granted, I'm new to Facebook and I'm 46 years old and I've never had a Facebook. You're, the, you're like the only one in America that doesn't have their own Facebook account. You just use mine all the time. <laughs> just to look at things. Yeah. But, but, but now we actually have the progress your health Facebook page where we talk about hormones. So, um, well, we have, a, we've I had a page Facebook. for a while. We're not really necessarily too active on the Facebook page, but now we have, because of the perimenopause masterclass, we have a Facebook group, um, a private Facebook group. So it's just called progress your health. Let's talk hormones. You can search for it on there. Uh, and it's just, uh, it's a private group. So you have to you know request to join and uh, one of the admins will, you know, certainly allow you in. And that's where we discuss pretty much anything hormones, right? PMS, perimenopause, menopause, PCOS, uh, hypothyroid, adrenals, uh, you know, all these things are kind of fair game. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we can all kind of congregate in one particular area. Everyone except you on the planet, you know, pretty much has a Facebook group. So it'll be, you know, hopefully a nice place to, um, you know, get to know everybody a little bit better. Well, now I do have one. Yeah. This yeah. one. <laughs> right, right, right. So we, uh, we're going to probably end up talking a lot more about weight loss or fat loss or burning fat. Uh, you know, weight loss is kind of a challenging one, right? There's a lot of competition. There's a lot of misinformation out there. Uh, you know, and, uh, just be a little bit careful with that. Take what, what we say with a grain of salt as well. Right. And we, we've just learned some things over the years dealing with our patients, but weight loss, you know, we don't have all the answers. Nobody, when it comes to weight loss has all the answers. I mean, not even, not even us, um, you know, but there's, there is a gap between the, what the research shows and what is being done in, you know, in everyday life. And we want to try to help kind of improve that a little bit. So people are actually putting forth all this effort. They're actually able to get the results that they want without having to work so hard. All right. I think we're probably pretty good, yeah, right? I think that uh, we can wrap this one up. So uh, until next time, I'm Dr. Mackey. And I'm Dr. Davidson. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Progress Your Health podcast. If you like what you've heard on this podcast, please give us a positive review on iTunes. This allows us to spread our message, grow our audience, and help more people around the world. For more information, visit our website at ProgressYourHealth.com.